I'm excited to bring the word tonight. My message is bought with a price for a purpose. We've been bought with a price for a purpose. And I'm really carrying on this series of grace. Um, we're in week two of our grace series. Um, who was here for grace and glory, by the way? Just give me a show of hands. That's most of the room. Who was just so impacted by, by the weekend? I know I was. Um, just the, the amazing revelation that we all received. Uh, and what I want to say is, I don't think you ever just get there with this sermon on grace, with this, this idea, um, or this reality, sorry, I should say. I think it's a journey that we just, we're walking out every day. Every day we're just learning a little bit more of the grace and the goodness and the love of God. Um, and so it's so exciting that we get to track along as a church and do this. Um, and so tonight, carrying on this series of grace, I wonder what you think when you hear the word grace. Because I hear the word grace, and, and uh, where I grew up, grace was scandalous. Grace was a scandalous word because it is, by definition, the undeserving and unmerited favor of God. It's Romans 5 verse 8 that while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And this is the scandalous part. While salvation costs Jesus everything... It costs us nothing. We just simply respond in obedience to him and we say yes. And we get to be partakers of this new life. But to understand grace, you have to understand the state of sin, which you and I were all in before Christ came along. And uh, so we're going to start at the beginning. We're just going to do a real quick overview. But most of us are familiar with the book of Genesis, right? And, uh, you know, in Genesis, it paints this picture of shalom before the fall, right? So shalom is the word for peace in Hebrew, but it also means nothing missing, nothing broken. Like it was perfect with God. And most of us uh, might be familiar with the story, but God created the heavens and earth in five days. And then on the sixth day, he created mankind. And he said, this is very good, what I've created And it was very good because he created mankind in his own image. And we walked with God in the garden every day. We mirrored the glory and the splendor of our Lord. We shared in the very nature of our God. We didn't even know sin. How good is that? And then it takes a turn in Genesis 3, where Adam, because of his wife, no, no, no. Eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Suddenly he adopts a sinful state. He takes on a different nature from than that of God's. There's no more shalom, no more peace. Now childbirth sucks. Now Adam and Eve, uh, their children are born into this innate s- state of sinfulness. Now they're banished from the garden because God is so holy and so righteous that he can't be in the presence of sin. And this was the state that mankind lived in all throughout the Bible. And get this, do you know without the cross, you and I would still be in this place? Without the cross, you and I would be unworthy to stand in the presence of our heavenly father. Without Jesus, you and I would be destined to an eternity of separation from God. 
And we have no idea what that means because we don't live in the Old Testament. We don't, we don't live in the Old Covenant. We didn't have to sacrifice animals and splatter blood and, and all the things that they had to do, all of the rules that they had to keep just to atone for their sins. And I love this question that Joss asked this morning. He said, how many sins does it take for you to be a sinner? <laughs> well, when you're born of Adam, it is innate. It is who you are, this sin. And Isaiah 61 verse 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. But the story continues after Adam and what unfolds is God's redemptive plan for humanity. God's redemptive love is so abundantly clear that, you know, we see it through the covenants with the Israelites. By the way, if, if you weren't here at Grace and Glory, it was probably one of the best sermons I've heard about the covenants. You really need to go and check it out. Um, buy the book out in the front desk. Thank you, Gideon. He qualifies you. But God is continually calling humanity back to himself, redeeming humanity. And in Revelation 13, 8, it even says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world, meaning God had already prepared a way for humanity. That's, that's amazing. Check this. This is just for fun, all right? You can see God's plan of redemption inscribed through the names of Adam and his sons. This is just for fun. Check this out. We know that names have meaning, right? Samuel means heard from God. My daughter's name, Ziggy, means victorious protector. Well, Adam's name in the Bible meant man. And his firstborn son, Seth, meant appointed. His firstborn son, Enosh, meant mortal. His firstborn son, Kenan, meant sorrow. His firstborn son, Mahalalel, meant blessed God. His firstborn son, Jared, meant shall come down. His firstborn son, Enoch, meant teaching. His firstborn son, Methuselah, meant his death shall bring. Crazy name. His firstborn son, Lamech, means despairing. And his firstborn son, Noah, meant comfort or rest. I love this. God's plan of redemption was even inscribed through the names of Adam and his sons. That when you put it together, it says this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest. That's written in the first pages of our, of our word, of the scriptures. That's amazing. But God is so faithful. And we see this culminate 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. When he was fully God, he was fully human. He lived a sinless and a perfect life. Luke 2.52 says he grew in stature with favor with God and man. He was the second Adam, if you like, where Adam stuffed up, Jesus was perfect. Where Adam fell short of the glory of God, Jesus was perfect right to the end. And as we all died with Adam in the beginning, so we have been made alive with Christ 2,000 years later. And I just want to read you the scripture that I found in Hebrews 10. And um, scripture just summarizes everything I'm saying. It's lengthy, but here it is. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly 
repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of their sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Day in day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Isn't that incredible? That's some good Bible. Go back and read that later. That's Hebrews 10. There's your homework. You see, when I'm in Adam, when I'm not saved, when I'm under the law, I have the sinful nature. But then Jesus comes. Right? This is when it gets good. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Gideon would say that we have a brand new hard drive. I don't share the same sinful nature that Adam had. I have, I'm brand new. When I'm in Christ, my spirit is redeemed. In fact, when God looks at me, he sees his son. Your identity is a son and a co-heir with Christ. And why is this important? Because too many Christians walk around with this defeatist mindset. They walk around wearing their false identities. They wear their sin because they don't understand that they've been made brand new. You know, your identity is not how hard you work. Your identity is not what you wear or how you look. Your identity is not your family of origin, your mum and dad, your siblings. Your mum or dad is your mum or dad. Your identity is not the fact that you're sick all the time. Your identity is not your sin or your past. But your identity is this. Not just that you're a son or a daughter of God, but that you now share in the same divine nature as Jesus. And that's why the Bible says greater things will you do. Like we think Jesus did some pretty great things. God calls us into greater things. You and I are called to not just look like Jesus, but to reflect him wherever we go. I feel like if we got this, we might just see some more miracles breaking out. That a Christian that knows their identity as a son or a daughter is a weapon for the kingdom. So we are in Christ, we're a new creation, we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's the good news right there. Who thinks that's good news? Whew. But what I love is that that's, that's actually not the end of the story. Because grace is not only the undeserving favor 
which we see through the gift of salvation, right? But grace is the very empowerment needed for us to live a life that reflects the glory of God. I'm not talking about your best Instagram life. I'm not talking about the the two jet skis and the holiday home life. Those things are cool. But when we understand grace, we understand that it is an empowering, empowering work in us, causing us to be transformed more and more into the image of His Son. Some of you might be confused. You just said, yeah, but you just said we share the same nature as Jesus. So what's this, what's this other side you're talking about? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this. Check this out. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That word sanctify means to be declared holy and righteous. So may the God of peace himself declare you holy and righteous completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that what Jesus did for us on the cross was once and for all, I've been declared righteous. I've been declared made new in him. I have a new nature. My spirit is brand new. But the word here says, may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless. We know what the body is, right? We idolize the the body in our culture. The body is the physical component of the human being. It's the connection to the physical world around us, and it's the house of the spirit. The soul is the vital existence of a human being. It's what contains our emotions and our intellect and our personality. And then our spirit, well, we're fundamentally spirit beings. The spirit is our very life force. It's the power that energizes our soul and our body. So we are spiritual beings that live in a body and have a soul. So if Paul is writing about not just the spirit and the soul and the body, it tells me that there's something important about my body and my soul that needs to be redeemed and transformed. That's why Romans 12 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this mean for us 21st century Christians? How are we to live? Because my spirit is redeemed, right? I have Christ in me. I'm loved and accepted by him. I could sit on the couch for the rest of of my life and he would still love me. Doesn't that blow your mind? But I don't know about you, but a whole bunch of couch potatoes wouldn't be very effective in winning souls for the kingdom of God. This isn't a sermon on behavior modification, by the way, because that doesn't work. But grace is the empowerment to live a higher way. It's an invitation to live life God's way. And some of us might be stuck in sin. You need to understand, yes, your spirit is redeemed, but maybe the rest of your being hasn't quite gotten the message yet. In Romans 6, verse 1 to 4, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or 2 Peter 1 4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want to ask the question are we living lives empowered by grace? Are we living lives that are worthy of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us? John 13, 35 says, By this all of you will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Colossians 3 says, To set your minds on things that are above. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. God is calling us into a life of holiness. Amen? Shivers, you guys are getting quiet on me. Our I ask the question again, why, why does this matter? Why does it matter what I do in my time? Why does it matter how I look? Why does it matter how I live my life well because Jesus wants to fulfill the great commission through you and through me the great commission is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and it says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And the world needs you and I to stand strong in our faith, knowing our identity as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Knowing that our identity isn't the sin that I might feel stuck in, but being people, the people of God that would be willing to lay down our lives for Him with His grace that empowers us to live this kind of life. In 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. just want to invite the, the worship team up, if I can. Do you know the word grace in the Bible, when Paul uses it, is also translated to gift in a lot of places. It's because it's a free gift that he gives us. And this is a a gift that he extends to each of us. And it all starts with saying, Jesus, I accept you into my life. Thank you for your sacrifice for me. Thank you that you died for me and I acknowledge you And it's not just, hey, come and live in my life. It's, Lord, I want to be consumed by you. I want the whole world to know you through me. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit that empowers us, his grace that empowers us to live a life set apart for him.
I just wonder if there are anyone, any, if there's anyone in the room who does need to make a decision for Jesus tonight. The Bible just says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Because God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever does believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for this extravagant life that we have in you. Lord, we thank you that we are co-heirs with you, Jesus. Lord, that you have given us a new nature that I'm not defined by my sin or my struggle. But God, when you look at me, you see your son. But with that, Lord, comes the responsibility of living out a life of holiness that is honoring of you, Lord. Lord, a life of purity. That when others look at us, they see a reflection of you, Lord.